I V M. Welcome to this week's episode of the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. We are very excited as we have with us a special guest, Adam Hollyo. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for taking time out, Adam. We're very excited to have you on the show. I have to say, three of us uh, that run this podcast, we're all doing research about you and and we're all 90s kids, right? We started watching cricket in the 90s and that's when you were kind of, uh, yeah, you, you that, was, that was your big cricketing time. So before we start, I have to ask everyone, tell us how cricket became the professional sport for you. Um, as we read, you played rugby, you played Australian uh, football. Uh, how did cricket become the professional choice? Um it was my only option, really, um, because rugby at the time wasn't professional. I turned professional in 1989, but at that stage, rugby wasn't professional. It was an amateur sport. I think I only turned professional in 1993 or something like that. So um, I didn't really have an option to do anything else. I didn't have an option to play Australian rules at all because I was living in England. Um, they don't play it over there anymore. So um, And also... Uh, I had I had done a lot of boxing as well at that stage, but my parents didn't want me doing that. So, um, so I cricket was was the sport that I got. I mean, that was the only offer I had. Really, I'm making out like I had a choice. It was like that was the only that was the only offer which I got because the other sports weren't professional. Awesome. And tell us, I'm I'm curious because I live in Singapore. And, uh, of course, you've got a lot of South Asians who live here, a lot of expats as well. And cricket is is big in terms of viewing, but in terms of playing, it's still not big. And I know mm. you, your family moved to Hong Kong when you all were young. And I yeah. read you joined a cricket club called Junior Gappers, um, yeah. if, I'm getting, if I'm getting the name right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. It, a lot of our listeners live in the South Asian region and the, the Asian region. How was it growing up in a Hong Kong type of environment where cricket is not the national sport. Cricket is not the main sport. Even in Singapore, sometimes I struggle to explain to people what sport I actually follow. How was it being there? Did you guys stand out? Was it a big South Asian community? Uh, can you talk us through a little bit about your Hong Kong experience? Yeah, sure. So um, so basically, our, my father was working in Hong Kong. Um, he got posted there as an engineer. So um, me and my brother, we just, my dad, the only sort of social thing that he could do was he would he would work all day and then on the weekends he'd go up to the Hong Kong Cricket Club and um, he would play cricket all day but we would sit around and we'd be bored so there was some nets there so we used to just go over me and my brother and some other friends of the kids of the of the fathers that were playing cricket and we'd go and we'd play all day in the nets that was our only option really other than sit there and watch and no kid wants to watch their dad play so um we um that's how we learned we just learned by playing in those nets we learned ourselves we learned by watching our dad occasionally he when he wasn't playing he'd go and give us some coaching um and it was actually my dad who set up that junior gappers thing to try and help the kids around so um yeah my dad's a was a very good cricketer he um he he played for the victorian country 11 so he's because um, he grew up in a place called Ballarat, which isn't isn't I mean it's the country, so out in the countryside. So he played for them, and so he gave us a good basics and understanding of the game at a young age. And the rest of it was just 
like every kid, probably there you've got billions of them in India who just go out there and are passionate and play every day. So um, we were no different to that. We would just go there and play every day. And that was sort of the, that was the beginning of our falling in love with cricket. It wasn't formal. It was just us just being kids and just playing in the nets and loving the game. Awesome. That's a very familiar story to a lot of us in India. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so was your dad your coach, the official coach of the Junior Gappers? Um, he was. He had a few coaches because when I first started, there was, you know, like seven or eight people and then the next week there was 50 and then the worst, next week there was 100. So he had to get, he had to get other co- parents to help coach as well. So it grew really fast. And I've always had a good relationship with Hong Kong. I went back and coached Hong Kong in, in 2000. So um, I was still playing for England at the time, but I um, during my off-season, I went and, and coached the Hong Kong team. So we played against Singapore in the Asia Asia Cup. So it was um, I'm familiar with Singapore. I traveled there a lot. I'm, I'm very, very good friends with Jason Dallapena, who's uh, one of the broadcasters for ESPN there in Singapore. He's based in Singapore, and he's I believe he's doing some coaching up there now as well. So he played, we played together at Surrey. So I'm really familiar with the Southeast Asian cricket, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, yeah. Thailand. I'm aware of how these places work. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's good. And we hope to see some Southeast Asian get into one of these big tournaments soon, right? It'll be great. For That'll the be great. That'll be the best. Yeah. yeah, it'll be great for the region. And I have to ask you a question. Was the Hong Kong Sixes around when you were playing? Yeah, I was fortunate. I played in the Hong Kong Sixes. Um, I think I played four times. Oh, cool. So I think we came runner-up every single time. So I, think, I never won it, but we got runners-up every time. So um, uh, they were, I was actually talking about that just the other day with um, Andy Bickle, who I coach at Queensland with, and we were reminiscing about the Hong Kong Sixes. They were good fun tournaments. Very yeah, good fun. Absolutely. And so, Adam, moving on, then tell us a little bit about your experience with Surrey. I mean, we've read a lot. You were definitely one of the most successful captains. Um, and as I was telling a few of my friends that, you know, I'm going to speak to Adam, they all got excited as all Indians do, right? We know every cricketer, we, we follow your journey. And um, a lot of them ask me, so I guess two questions I wanted to ask you. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Surrey. And secondly, as I talked to some of my friends, they said Surrey was a team at that point which was ahead of its time. And it was kind of the team that was playing T20 cricket before T20 cricket came out. So can you talk yeah. us through a little bit about your experience and about the, the type of cricket Surrey played? What was it like for you? Yeah, so when I, I started with Surrey in 1989, I was only young. I was 16 at the time or something like that. So, um, I um, yeah, I was fortunate. We I came into a, a good side, very talented side, but we hadn't won the championship since 1971. So that was the year I was born. Yeah. So we had a, we'd had a, we had a long history of failing, um, not achieving our potential. And we were, we were really going through a bad time in 94, 95. I think at the time in 1995, when they came and asked me to be captain, we were at the bottom of the championship. It was the middle of the season. Yeah, we, 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 were, we were going horribly. And I'd never been the captain of any team before. So um, we had huge potential, but we had not a lot even, of fight. Not even the Hong Kong Texas? Uh, no, so it was, I mean that was of course England. When you go there with a story, we um, we'd had yeah. no success. So we were playing terribly. We were arguing amongst ourselves. We weren't um, we weren't a good team. Uh, we had good individual talent, but we weren't a good team. So we didn't we had no discipline or anything like that. So um, and when they came and asked me to be captain, 
I thought there must have been somebody standing behind me because I, I've never been asked to be captain of anything. I thought even me. So, um, uh, yeah, I just said, okay. I think the best thing that happened in that situation was because I knew I wasn't ready to be the captain of, at that at the young age. I went there and I spoke to the team. I said, look, I need you all to help me. I'm the youngest guy in the team. You guys got to help me with this captaincy. And then it became a team effort. And um, I then grew into the job. After a few years, I became more experienced at captaining. And then as the years went on, then I didn't need as much help. But, um, oh, you always need the help of your players. You can't, you know, yeah. of course I needed help. But I didn't, When I, in those early days, I needed a lot of um, tactical advice and how to handle things from people like Alex Stewart, Graham Thorpe, all those things. And then eventually, over a period of time, I sort of developed into my own captain. But um, you know, we were fortunate. We had a very like, – we had the talent. Everyone said, what was the – a lot of people asked me what was the best thing about my captaincy. I was saying my team, my player had the best players, which is a good start. I mean, if you've got good players, then you've got a chance. You can't – there's no one that's ever taken the worst players and being turned them into the best team. So you need the players to start with, and I'm always – humble and respectful that I had very good players. So, But by the same token, there's been a lot of teams that have got very good players who haven't had success. Yep. So they need, they need to be brought together. So, And we were able to do that, and we won nine trophies in seven years from there. So um, it was a really exciting time to be involved in, and um, we just kept improving, and then it got to the point where we weren't just happy with winning. We wanted to um, be inventive and try and move the game forward and we I think we did that in 2002 2002 we won the inaugural T20 competition that was the first time T20 had ever been played yep won that so um, and we started yeah we were, we were very sort of ahead of our time I think yeah I think that's the that's the quote that everyone talks about the team in, in probably late 90s early 2000s that you guys were ahead of your time and I'm going to jump a little bit I had this question for later but do you feel like uh, if you had played 10 years later, T20 cricket was just built for you? And I'm, Adam, I'm sure you get that question a lot of times, but um, yeah. Well, it is. If you, I mean, if you look at my record in T20, it's the shorter the game, the better it suited me. So if they had one over cricket, that would suit me even better. It's like, um, I just struggled the longer the game because I'm a physical player. Um, you know, I'm a strong athlete, so, but maybe my concentration isn't so good. So the long game, you know, test cricket, then your concentration becomes more important than your skill. Whereas in the short form of the game, I feel like the physical players can have more of an impact. So um, I think T20 definitely suited me. Uh, and I, but I'm also, um, that question, you know, oh, do you, you know, regret that you're not playing now? Well, you're always going to say that because if I looked at the players that played 20 years before me, they weren't even getting paid to play at all. Yeah. Or they were paying for like, you know, $50 for a game, you know. So, of course, and these players these days, in another 20 years' time, they're going to be getting paid more again. So it's always going to be going up. But um, I don't regret it because I was fortunate and then we, I got went through a period of time where we started to get paid quite good money, but we didn't have all the attention that the current players have to deal with. Yeah. Um, I, would have got myself, I would have got myself in a lot of trouble with social media and... And like I was, I was a um, bad boy with the girls, so I would have got myself in a lot of trouble. So I'm grateful for the time I played in. <laughs> yeah, social media has changed everything now. Like you're up to date with everything. 
yeah, it, it, yeah, it's um, it's wonderful for those guys, but they've got to behave themselves now. So, yeah. absolutely. All right, Adam. So let's talk a little bit. You spoke about your sorry experience. Let's talk about a little bit about your debut for England. Uh, I believe it was in '96, and then you were captain in '97. How was yes. that moving the journey so fast? Right. I mean, it was great that you had some captaincy experience, but. Uh, it's rare that you hear of somebody coming in within one year and becoming captain in the international game. Oh, that you're correct. You're really correct there. But what even more correct is the the little amount of games we played back in then. So between 1996 and 1997, when I became captain, I only played five one-day internationals. Wow. So it's not like now, in one year, you might play 30, 40, 50 one-day internationals. But mm-hmm. I still only played five one-day internationals when I became the captain of England. So um, it was really fast. Um, I think that happened just, it was a timing, you know, like, you know, like the, the perfect storm. So Michael Atkinson was sort of not really wanting to play one day cricket anymore. I'd been the captain of Surrey successfully. We were seen to be an inventive side. I got asked to be the captain of the England A. We went out to Australia and we were successful. And then um, we played the Champions Trophy in Sharjah and I went out there um, Michael Atherton was having the series off, so they said, let's send a young team out and send Adam Holyoke as captain. So um, I went there as, as captain after five games. I mean, ideally I would have played, had more time to get used to international cricket before I became captain, but when someone offers you the captaincy of your country, England, Australia, India, you, you just say yes. You yeah. don't say no. Everyone say, oh, I'm not quite ready yet. You just do it. You know? Yeah, you you have to jump into it and learn on the job, right? Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to. So, and, and you're blessed. It's a you know fortunate position. You know, I could have been terrible at the job, but um, still, I would have accepted it. So. Okay. That's awesome. And was it a very big shift to international cricket, like from a captaincy of Surrey to captaining in England? There's different things. There's um, there's things that were harder about the job, and there's things that are easier. Obviously, the easier things are the only with the players for less time. You spend most of your times with your county side, um, so you don't have to worry about you know the off the field stuff as much. But with um, international cricket, you come together and you concentrate. You've got the best support staff around. So, but you've got to deal with the media and you've got other extra pressures which come with captaining. Yeah, with captaining in England, but. Captaining Surrey has different pressures, but both different. Um, it just depends on different personalities, suit yep. different things. I never found talking to the media very hard. Okay. It didn't bother me, so it didn't distract me very much. Um, um, just the step up in standard for international cricket is, is a big step up. Yeah. So that was that was the biggest challenge for me. Got it. Awesome. And Adam, talk to us, our listeners, a little bit about your view on Split captaincy. It's probably one of the most debatable topics in cricket. Yeah. Uh, in India also, we've had split captains. It, it works sometimes, it doesn't work sometimes, but what's your personal mm-hmm. take on split captaincy? Yeah, it's funny. I've been, I've been getting asked this question for, it's like almost coming up for 30 years now. Yep. And, and I don't know what my, uh, my it, I think it depends on the people and the, it's not just the captains. It's also, You've got to take into consideration the management and you've got to take into consideration the players. So, uh, And there has to be a lot of communication there. I think it can work. I think it can work. But if ideally, if you've got a captain who's capable of doing all of those jobs, that's the best case scenario, I believe. But if it's not that case, like in our instance, Michael Atkinson was 
the best test captain, but wasn't necessarily in our one-day team, um, that situation changes. And there's been many cases of that throughout the world, throughout the last 30 years. I think we were, I think I was the first split captain, I think, from memory. I I might be wrong, but if I wasn't, that was one of the very first, one of the few ones who, who, who did that. So um, it's um, it's an interesting time. Like, it changes all the time. Obviously, now you potentially three captains, T20, one day, test match. So I don't know where does it end. It's I think it all depends. It all depends on the people that you've got involved. I mean, it can work, yeah. but it can also be a disaster if it's not right. So and I and one question on that, right? You're seeing nowadays uh, teams also becoming different, like. When India goes to play tests, you have a completely different set of people, you know, going up there with right from a Chideshwar Pujara to Ishan Sharma, uh, Ravi Chandran Ashwin. And then when you play ODI, it's different. Do you think the set of players that make up the two teams play a, play a part in, in a split captaincy being successful or or not? Yeah, I mean, you've got to have the players. You've got to have the team. You've got to have, um, I think there's a core group which I think is the best case scenario is you have like four, five, six guys who can play in all the formats. And then if you have just a few that just change over, I think that scenario works well. I don't know how successful it would be if you had totally different players coming in. Um, That might be, and it could still work, but I think there's some players that are just, you know, world-class in all formats, like Coley, all formats of... They could play five over cricket or timeless test match, and that guy is a very brilliant bowler. Um, Bumra, these guys, they're just they're just good cricketers. It doesn't matter what format you you want to play; they're just good. Yeah. Um, but then there's other guys, especially. And I wasn't I wasn't one of those people. I wasn't one of those people. I just wasn't just good. I was better one day cricket, T Twenty cricket. And yeah, I could play test match cricket in the right situation, but. Um, I wasn't one of those great players who could just do every... You're going to need to be the physical side of the T20 all the way through to the mental application side of things for a test match. It's a rare cricketer that is able to perform at that very highest level uh, in all formats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think you're right. In India, when you think about that, it's probably Kohli and Bumrah who are performing at all three levels at that... Uh, at that and they're just good cricketers. They're yeah. just good. And, and when you're that good... And it doesn't matter what format it is. They could play one over cricket. Those guys would still be good. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Adam, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about your Sharjah experience and playing India and Pakistan. And Sharjah for for Indian fans is, of course, you've got a lot of memories, right? In the 90s, we played there a lot. How was it going out there? How was it facing that Indian team? We remember it for Sachin Tandulkar batting at number four, which none of us liked. At that point, yeah. and uh, and how, so how was facing India? How was coming out and, and winning that tournament? How, how I think in England's first big ODI tournament in over ten years, if I'm not mistaken, that that really was amazing for the country. It was incredible because we went there, and and not only that, what people don't realize is we didn't send a very strong side because a lot of our best players were resting. Um, Darren Goff, um, Caddick, um, Atherton, um, a lot of the guys rested and didn't come out there. So we weren't expecting to do very well. And especially in those conditions where the Indians and Pakistan sides are so dominant. Um, in those days, you guys were playing regularly. in that, And that was new conditions for us. Um, but the selectors were good. They picked an English side that they thought might be able to adapt to those conditions. And I think the thing which helped was that none of the Indian players had seen 
our players. There was like people like Matthew Fleming, Dougie Brown, Robert Croft, uh, Mark Elam, people like this. They hadn't they hadn't been around for a lot. Myself, we hadn't been around, so they hadn't had a chance to. Only five audiences like, to see. Yeah, yeah. So we were new. We were all like, we we're all single figures. We played like five, six, you know, maybe maximum eight or nine one day internationals. So we were new to these guys. Whereas Tendulkar and Ganguly and Azaruddin and these guys, we've been watching these guys for 10 years, watching them, seeing them. So it was a big advantage for us. Um, I'm not going to um, lose sight of that. Um, but for us to come out in those conditions and and they were, what, what people also must remember, they were one-off game. So it wasn't like we were playing India three times or Pakistan three times. We played them once. So they hadn't, they hadn't seen us. So we played them once. It was like, bang, hit them, new technique, tactic, played. We didn't play them again. So it was a big advantage for us. If we'd been playing India three times in a row or Pakistan three times in a row, the first time we might be able to surprise them. But then these guys are clever cricketers. They would adjust and they would... I learned about that, but it was the tournament, the way it was structured, set up, suited us very well. Awesome. And who was your favourite Indian cricketer at that point, if I can ask? Oh, Tendulkar. Tendulkar um, was definitely my favourite. Um, he was he was an amazing player. Um, I remember we played them in that uh, opening game of that tournament, and I'd never played against Tendulkar before. He was captain, I was captain, and we went out there. And my first thing was I couldn't believe how how short he was. I was like, wow, how's he hit the ball so, so hard if he's that small? He's like, but then um, we got India in a bit of trouble. Might have been four for, we got 250, which back in those days was a good score. Yep. Uh, we had India four for 40 or four for 50, something like that. And Tendulkar was in, and then he was just batting single, single, single. And then there was a, I think there was a drinks break after 25 overs or something like that. And Alex Stewart came to me and he said, we need to put the field back. Tendulkar's going to, he's going to start trying to hit the ball now. I said, no, 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 let's leave the field up. I said, let us see it. let him try and do it. If he does it, he'll get out. And um, Alex had played 150 one day internationally. said, Smokey, we need to put the field back. This guy is going to start trying to hit us. I said, let him try. If he's that good, then he can hit for six. I said, if he's not good enough, he'll get out. Let him try. I don't care. First ball after the drinks face, six. Second ball after the drinks face, six. I said, okay, let's put the field back. <laughs> awesome. So um, he was obviously, he'd seen a lot more of Tendulkar, but at that time I was like, wow, this guy is amazing. I didn't think a guy that small could hit the ball so hard and be so good. He's the best player I've played against. Awesome, and he loves Sharjah. And Adam, thank you. You've just given us a, a great soundbite to introduce this uh, this interview mm. with you on social media. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, t- talk us for a little bit about what two years later. How was it to experience a World Cup at home? I mean, that's probably a dream for a lot of players, right? To play a World Cup and to play at home. It didn't go as well. But what was the experience of two questions, right? One was what was the experience of playing in the '99 World Cup, and second is. How was that game against India? I mean, all of us remember waking up and coming back on the second day and it was new, right? It was yeah. a new thing, new experience for a lot of us. We didn't know what was going to happen. Just yeah. talk the 99 World Cup a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was a funny one because the, we used the white Duke ball, which is the main thing, which I think you know people, I mean, if you watch it on TV, you probably not, not pick up on that. It just looks like a white ball going down. But that white ball was very, it moved around a lot and it was really difficult. It would have been hard for Indians 
And um, it was amazing that Pakistan got to the final of that that World Cup was because the conditions would have been really alien for, you know, foreign to um, the subcontinent players, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, India. But India had a really good side at that time and they were just able to, you know, like great players, Ganguly, Tendulkar, um, Kumble, um, great, great players who, you know, might even be in, you know, the when you start talking about the greatest teams ever, these guys, you talk about these guys, so... So they were able to adapt to those conditions, and we weren't a great side. We were we were a good side, but um, we didn't have great players at that stage. Um, young Flintoff, we didn't have a, a side that was filled with good players, great players. Indian side was better than us then, and uh, and and they knocked us out of the tournament. So um, I remember actually we were playing that uh, the final game was in Birmingham, and. Uh, and I, we knew it was, a, you know, a Ganguly and Tendulkar opening the batting. And we started the game, you know, home game. This is our World Cup. This yeah. is in England. And when we come to Birmingham and Tendulkar and Ganguly came out to bat, I said, are we playing in Birmingham or are we playing in Bombay? It was like the crowd was like the whole, it was like, it wasn't, it was like an away game for us because all the Indians had come there to Birmingham and it did feel like an away game to us. So. Uh, amazing, really. Just that shows the passion of the Indian supporters wherever they are in the world. Yeah, actually, the three of us who run this podcast are guilty of that. In 2017, Champions Trophy and 2019, we were in Birmingham. We flew down from US, from Singapore, and of course, the third guy, DJ, lives in London. But we were all dressed in blue, Indian flags, everything. And you're right, you when you play in England against India in these big tournaments, it, it just it doesn't feel like you're watching the game outside. Were you one of those guys in the crowd in 1999? Like, <laughs> I wasn't there in 1999. I wish I had been, but I wasn't there. <laughs> it's your fault we got knocked out. <laughs> we, we were watching at home. But fast forward 20 years later, England won the World Cup at home. Yeah. Just what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it was, it was great. I, to be honest, um, from our perspective, they were the favorites. They really worked at building a team. But just give us your thoughts a little bit about how you think England transformed right into this one-day team that Everyone knew was going to win the World Cup. I think basically it was built around um, personnel. They have, I mean, England over the last, well, ever since I've known, have never had numbers one, two. Well, since the the fielding restriction came in, I think it was the '95 World Cup where Sri Lanka won it with um, Jaisalmer and Kalawitharana taking advantage of the first fifteen overs. That changed the way people played. An yep. approach one day international career, and this England have never had any players that have been able to do that. They've tried so many players, but this World Cup we had Jason Roy um, and and other guys who could come out and take advantage. Johnny Bairstow, yep. um, take it. Um, Alex Hales, I know he didn't play in the World Cup, but he was there leading up to it and was part of that um, resurgence. We were had so many guys who could then do that, uh, and that's one area where England had struggled for. It was as long as I've been playing, so for 30 years. Um, and then off, off the back of that, we had you know good bowling attack. Joffre Archer coming in just before that World Cup, just to add that extra pace. So every area was covered. Spin, leg spin, off spin, pace, good bowls, you could bowl tight. And then I think the main thing out of all of those things, which they achieved between the 2015 World Cup and the 2019 World Cup, was the ability to manipulate spin bowling. Because um, that was the one area where we hadn't been very good. And look at the stats. They're quite interesting. They went from being 
the seventh or eighth best players of spin in the middle overs to the best players of spin. And I, I put that down to Graham Thorpe, who was the batting coach, and he worked on a lot of get, hitting against the spin, a lot of training hitting against the spin, yep. which is if you, anyone who plays a lot of cricket will know that the spin bowlers stack the field and batsmen hit with the spin. Yep. So the English batsmen practice hitting against the spin because there's less, less fielders, riskier, but less fielders on that side, and that increased the scoring rate. And I believe that was the difference between us winning the World Cup and, and not. Awesome. And actually, you know, you think about the team, you mentioned a few players, but just look at the balance that that team had, right? You've got a Joe Root at number three. You've got mm-hmm. the order, which has Morgan and Ben Stoke. You've got Butler who comes down there. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, you spoke about the first 15 overs being crucial and getting the start. But the way cricket has evolved, it's the last 15 overs where England is like, so long as we've got wickets in hand, we're going to score yeah. a lot of runs. I mean, if it just didn't stop. If you got one yeah. guy out, the next guy would come in. And then you're at a point where you've got four wickets and you've got Butler and Stokes at the crease. And, and it's just ridiculous. And they're, and they're still attacking. It's... um. It's very un-English, isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> very un-English to just they attack, attack, attack and to keep going for their shots and to keep backing themselves. It's almost the most un-English tactics that we've ever seen, but it's it was successful. They ended up winning the World Cup because of it. Yeah, and they, they were dominant through large parts. There were scares in the middle. And then I guess that, mm. that super over finish was just uh, uh, something you know. Amazing. I don't think we'll ever see a World Cup final like that ever again. I don't yeah, think. never again. Adam, okay, maybe like, we might not ever see another game like that again, let alone yeah. in the final. Yeah. Mm. It was it was incredible. I mean what a what a what a way to wrap up a great tournament, right? Yeah, incredible. Yeah. So Adam, let me come last last couple of questions from our side. We don't want to keep you too long, but uh wanted to get your thoughts on some of the current Indian cricketers, right? And you can you, mm. you can give me a word, you can give me a sentence, but uh, I'll just shoot out some names and just let us know your thoughts, right? Virat Kohli, the greatest. Rohit Sharma, the best. I mean, yeah, like the, in the one of the, one of the greatest. He's. Um, it's amazing the talent that India's got at the moment. Um, and I think if I, if I just talk in general about the team first, they've got talent in all areas, and they've got a strong leader. You know, a guy who's. Not your typical Indian. A lot of Indians over the years have been very um, just nice guys and just happy to sit back and take what comes their way. This guy is going out there and he's he's taking the attack to the rest of the world. He's uh, aggressive. I, I think the rest of the world doesn't like it, but I do. I think it's fantastic because um, he's saying, I'm going to, he's almost, when he goes out there, you can see his attitude is that I'm going to fight for India and I'm going to come out here, and I'm, we're not going to be subservient anymore. We're going to come out, and we're going to attack you. And if you're not ready to play, we're going to beat you. Yeah. So um, it's 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 a it's, I love it because that's the way I used to play my cricket. And I've got I've, for a long time I watched Indian play, and they're just nice guys. Yeah, they're polite nice guys, especially in the nineties. Very nice guys, like nice guys. We beat them, and they were just nice guys. It was like, but nice guys come last. Yeah, you know what I mean. So. Um, you know, the, I think this guy's the, I think this guy's the best I've ever seen. The yeah. Coley. I think he's the best. I mean, I never thought I'd see someone better than Tendulkar. Yeah. I, 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 it's taken me a long time because I'm so scarred by Tendulkar. Um, <laughs> it's taken me a long time to actually say, I, I think this guy's actually going to be better. If he can last as long, I mean, 
not as long. He's, I don't think anyone's going to last as long as Tim Dilker, but if he can get somewhere near there, then I think he's his mastery of the game, his professionalism, the intensity with which he plays the game, um, his mastery of his art is unprecedented. And, and then people talk about Steve Smith and they talk about Joe Root and they talk about Kane Williamson. This guy's the best. Awesome. I don't care what the I don't care what the rankings say. This guy's the best. Yeah, and it's interesting, Adam. You mentioned about that in Indian cricket. The way a uh, few of us see it is, you had three captains, right? Ganguly showed you or or showed you that winning was a possibility. Dhoni showed you how to do that, like how to win. And I think Kohli has just shown you that there's no other way, right? So uh, mm-hmm. if you're losing, feel bad about it. And that's kind of been the 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 story of Indian cricket through these three captains. Yeah, that's good. Good assessment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and let me ask you just a few other guys like uh, Rohit Sharma right and a lot of people say he would be one of the best of any team at any time if it wasn't for Kohli yeah well he's the Stuart McGill of <laughs> um, oh, he's the Stuart McGill like you know Stuart McGill was probably the best leg spinner in the world apart yeah. from Shane Warne was playing yeah so um, if it wasn't for Shane Warne uh, you know I don't know how many Stuart McGill would have got but it would have been a lot so he's in that category. I mean, you know, hopefully he won't go through his whole career in the shadows, but these guys end up getting there. I mean, he's still a tremendous player, but Coley's everything, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's, got, he's got everything. He's, got, he's the best. So, unfortunately, you know, it's like where you, some people just live in the... Imagine if you were born in the 1990s, the 80s and 90s, and you were an all-rounder and in Australia. It's like, you got Mark and Steve Waugh yeah. playing. It's like, you're not going to get a game. Yeah. So they, they don't have three all-rounders in the team. So um, those guys just dominated. You, you don't get a chance. And the same, the only fortunate thing for Sharma is that they, they play six batsmen in the team. So um, he's thankful he's not a spinner because he wouldn't yeah. be playing because Cole would be playing. But he's a brilliant, brilliant, um, brilliant batsman. I mean, world-class. Awesome. And given you were an all-rounder as well, we have to ask how, what, what's your view on Hardik Pandya? Yeah, I mean... This new breed of Indian cricketers, they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're coming in. As, I, I, I like the thing that we've, they've struggled with over the, over the years has been a little bit, or, I mean, other Kapil Dev, you had the great, one of the greatest all-rounders. Um, but there hasn't been a, a good all-rounder for, for a long while for India, I think. Like, so I think this guy's, this guy's the real deal. And, um, I think that's going to, India is going to come, I feel there's going to, I've got this feeling, this cricket goes in cycles, and I've got this feeling that India is about to come into a, their greatest era that they've ever had. I think they'll be the number one side for a while. This will be between India and Australia, I feel, are going to have, in test cricket, are going to have a great tussle over the next decade to see who can be the greatest side. Because Australia's coming and they've got the fast bowling. It might be a case of India beat Australia in in India and then come over here, they might find it hard because Australian fast bowling is very good. Yeah. Um, but um, amazing, amazing cricket at the moment is in an incredible place with the sides around the world. Sometimes you you only have, like throughout the 70s and 80s, we had West Indies were a good side and everyone else was behind. Yeah. And then through the uh, 90s, there was Australia and everyone else was behind. Yeah. Whereas now we've got a, this You're time where... Where there's four four teams, five teams who can beat each other, so it's a great time to be a supporter. Awesome, 
Thank you, Adam. We have to ask you one last question around your coaching. And uh, we know you're getting into coaching. Share with us a little bit about uh, which teams you're coaching. I know you're working with Afghanistan and a T20 team there called Boost Defenders. What is what is the coaching experience been like for you? It's been fantastic, actually. Uh, I started off coaching with England, and I was I worked with England um, in the T20 um, when there was the England versus South Africa series in I think it was like 2000. Eight, 17 or 18 and then I went with um, the England Lions and um, I worked with England Lions for a while but then I've got my family and my my kids all they live out here in Australia so I needed to be back closer to home yep. so I now I now coach Queensland um, I'm the assistant coach I'm the batting specialist for the Queensland team so the players that I've been coaching that you guys in India might know of recent times is Asmana Slabashane yep. and um, Joe Burns um, and then we've got some other players coming up like um, Michael Nessa, Jack Wildermuth, um, Jimmy Pearson. So these guys are all going to become very good players and their games are improving rapidly. So I think Manus is number two or three player in the world at the moment. So he's, he's, what he's is, doing what the last one year he's had, right? Like incredible. Last year, incredible. Incredible year. So, uh, and, and, and I've been working with him in the last three or four months and he's got better again. Awesome. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. He's like I've seen him improving, not because of me. He's he's the hardest worker I've ever seen any cricketer. He's got better again. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Um, the hard thing for him is that I haven't seen him facing a lot of spin. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes when he comes to India. But if the Indians think they're going to get him out bowling swing or seam, that's going to be hard because he's very good. Now. Awesome. I think he's the, maybe the best player of swing and seam bowling in the world, I believe. Wow. So that's going to be a great battle in December, right? Just beat Bumrah bowling to Barnes. Um, it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be, that will be, that'll be a very, very good challenge. Uh, my suggestion for India is to get some spinners on at him. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Adam. We're going to have to figure out a way to get you to come to coach the IPL teams. I think they'll benefit uh, tremendously from your experience, from your mindset, from the way you approach the game, um, especially De- Delhi Daredevils or Delhi Capitals. We are big fans of yeah. that team. But uh, yeah. just want to say thank you so much for taking time out to be on the podcast. And we're sure thank our listeners will love hearing you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adam. Hello, 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 everybody. It's been another great week on the IBM Podcast Network. On What the Hell Navya, Jaya Bachchan, Shwetananda and Navya herself dish out stories from their childhood. They discuss tough love between parents and their kids. On Pesa Vesa, Anupam talks to Baman Irani, President-elect Kredai, and Chairman and MD at Rustamji. They discuss the concept of buy versus rent and how to approach buying property in 2022. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus is joined by Meghnath and comedian Shad Shafi. They discuss their opinions on the ongoing Congress presidential elections and Prashant Kishore embarking on a padyatra. On the Life Manifesto, Zarina narrates a story that advocates that stress and emotions are not to be controlled but must be beautifully managed. And on the Filter Coffee podcast, Karthik is joined by Yashraj Akashi. Senior Ambassador of the TEDx Program and Curator of TEDx Gateway. They discuss the origin story of TED and its franchise model. Guys, go to our website, ivmpodcast.com. You can check out the merch store, also links to all of our social media stuff, which is at IVM Podcast. Also, do check out our YouTube channels. We have a number of channels with many of your favorite shows available as full video podcasts. 
Finally, we'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thank you so much for making this possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from. Working Monday to Friday glued to your chair making you feel dull? Worry not. Get your 5-minute weekly dose of travel around the world with postcards from nowhere. Join me every Thursday as I explore the strange, obscure and fascinating parts of the world and bring out facets of travel you may not have thought of before. You can find us on the IBM Podcast app, website or wherever you get your podcast from. <laughs>